here's the good news and the bad news of all this red pill stuff we're going through, right? Hey, 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 everybody. We got a new episode, and this is kind of a part two. I got Lindsay in the house. Hey, Lindsay, what's up, bro? Hey, guys, let's do this. Yep, yep. And we got our special guest, friend of the show, Vicky Joy, and we love having her on here. Hey, Vicky, how you doing? Hey, I am doing great. So happy to be hanging out with you guys again. Oh, yeah, we love it when you're on our show. It's just so, I don't know, it's just so relaxed and laid back and, you know, feel like we're three of us sitting around having a coffee. <laughs> so that's, that's right. I got my coffee yeah, right here. I got mine, too. <laughs> I'm sure Liz has got, got his tea. tea. Yep, yep. <laughs> But last time we started talking about spiritual warfare and all this really interesting, cool stuff. But then the Holy Spirit kind of took us for a ride, yes. um, like a like a slow ride. Anyway, so <laughs> uh, and it was it was awesome, and we got a lot of good responses from that uh, from that podcast. But today, I think I, I want to dive back into what what we had in store and 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 talk about uh, the the spiritual warfare aspect. I think we were at Ephesians. Chapter six, I think, is where you had us. Yep. And yep. so, if you remember, let's uh, let's just kind of dive into there. I'm gonna pray for us real quick, though, if that's okay. Sure. Uh, yes. Yeah. Um, Father, I, I just pray and ask in the name of Jesus that we won't have any kind of problems, technical problems, anything like that, and we'll just be able to dive into this podcast. And I pray that everything that comes out of Vicky's mouth will be from you, and whatever's not of you will drop to the, drop to the ground. But what is of you, Lord, that will get deep into our spirits and deep into our hearts. I bless our listeners, and I pray that they'll have open hearts to hear what she really has to say and what's, what God has placed on her heart. And Lord, I thank you for the conversations that we have, and I bless all those in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, cool. Well, I think I'd like to start just by reading the passage. You know, we're always talking about Ephesians 6, Ephesians 6, but uh, yeah. there's potentially a lot of people listening that are like, what's Ephesians 6? I'll look it up later. So I think I'm just going to go and I'm going to read from verse 10 to okay. maybe 17. Okay. Uh, so this is the armor of God section. This is kind of like the proverbial spiritual warfare text. Uh, mm -hmm. So starting in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Verse 12, this is the key verse. This is the one sampled in the beginning of like 80s metal tunes in those Vincent Price voice, right? For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Awesome. Love it. Yes. I do too. Yep. So 
I don't know about you guys. There, there's been so many spiritual warfare sermons and Ephesians 6 sermons, and I don't need to rehash what every pastor has said a million times, and it's the standard seminary script, and we don't have to say all of the things that we've all heard a million times. I kind of want to take this into a different direction because I think we have two extremes of where people go in their mind when they think of spiritual warfare. And I think the bulk of the battle is in between those two extremes. So I'd like to talk about the actual battlefield that most of us are on. Uh, the one extreme is the, you know, Linda Blair head spinning around and Satan's after me and he's, you know, and there are people, especially on the mission field overseas and in closed to the gospel countries, that do experience that level of spiritual warfare where they have curses against them, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, that's so Average. funny. Uh, that's so funny. I, I just rewatched The Pope's Exorcist with Father Amort and I actually downloaded some of his books just to get a, a perspective from a Catholic exorcist about this. Anyways, mm -hmm. it's funny you bring that up. So keep going. Yeah, Sorry. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, then you've got another extreme uh, if the pendulum was to swing all the way over to the opposite side and this is the one where i tend to start rolling my eyes and say like oh give me a break every single thing that happens to inconvenience someone on a daily basis is spiritual warfare oh the car that i have <laughs> neglected to change the oil in for the last three years doesn't start how could this happen you know and uh you know it's been thundering and lightning um a flash flood hits and like uh, a branch comes in and knocks a window out. It's the devil. It's like, you know, sometimes we live in a fallen world. We live on a planet where things break. Entropy, the law of thermodynamics, all things break down. Cars break down. Relationships break down. And so when we start seeing every single thing as Satan's after me, one of two things can happen. Tactics of the beast in the end times is to wear down the saints. And one of the ways he can wear down the saints is to give them such an acute awareness of spiritual warfare that they think that they're fighting in a war all day long, every day. And then you get battle fatigued and you you get this foxhole sickness, you know? Mm. Uh, another thing that can happen when you think every single thing is the devil after you is you can you can develop pride. I am, I've got a bullseye on my back. And ever since I became a Christian, Satan's mm. afraid of me. Mm. When all oh, the, these t-shirts you see and like Satan mm. trembles every time Vicky gets out of bed and puts her feet on the ground, you know, all this nonsense, you know? So, <laughs> so let's, let's, <laughs> I'm sorry. I, uh, I'm yeah. going to make Satan's that t-shirt. like, oh, great. I got to deal with her uh, stupid jokes all day is more of the things. But what, where most of us live every day is Satan is smart enough, usually, to be covert. Satan doesn't want Christians to figure out his hand is in it because then they pray in the name of Jesus, get out. And they, they take their victory and they start listening to gospel songs and Jesus on the mainline, you know, all this stuff. He doesn't want us showing our authority. So he acts, I think, in more covert ways, usually. And where I'm seeing the battle lately, uh, as the as the days grow short, and I get a lot of people calling me and telling me about where they are in life and what's going on, and what I'm starting to see is very stalwart believers 
who've walked with the Lord for decades, who know the word, I'm seeing their faith start to falter. I'm seeing them confused. Uh, There's all sorts of new religious ideas being thrown at us and being brought into the church. There's new age stuff that's coming in. There's Hebraic stuff that's coming in. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that everything that's coming in is Mm -hmm. evil and wrong and untrue, but it's coming into the church in a way that is meant to confuse and to overwhelm. And so there's a lot of people, uh, here's the good news and the bad news of all this red pill stuff we're going through, right? As more knowledge, as knowledge increases, which is one of the signs of the end, as knowledge increases and we're being given all of a sudden, all these apocryphal texts are coming into our purview, and we're, we're reading the book of Enoch and all these things, and we're discovering things we never knew before. On one hand, it can be exciting, and it can fill in gaps and connect dots for us. On the other hand, it can overwhelm us and confuse us, and it can pave the way for false doctrine to, mm-hmm. to slowly slip in, et cetera, et cetera. And so... The spiritual warfare that I think most of us are needing to watch out for now is battle fatigue, uh, failing to take every thought captive, failing to test, yep, yeah, fa- yeah, yeah. failing to test every spirit, failing to reject gospels, even if it comes from the mouth of an angel that doesn't match up with the scriptures. Galatians 1 and 1 John 4. I have quoted those two verses more in the last year and a half than I ever have in my life. We have to take the Bible literally. When, when John, just put, put yourself into John's shoes for one second. John was the disciple that was beloved of Christ. They had a unique relationship. They, they loved each other. There was a trust. There was a bond. And yet, the next time, John sees his best friend after the resurrection is this vision where he is a lamb that looks to be slain sitting upon a throne. And instead of like, buddy, I missed you, he falls like a dead man at the sight of his best friend, right? There's a fear and trembling there because now he's not seeing Jesus, the guy Mm -hmm. in the sandals and the ponytail. He's seeing the holiness of the slain lamb. And so you have to understand that 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John were written after Revelation, towards the very end of John's life, before he passed away. 1st John is his, the last will and testament of John. Before I die and I've got one more message for the world, what am I going to say? And what is his message? Beware of false prophets in the church. And so when... Yep. Test, test the, the spirit. So, yep. so when John tells you test yep. every spirit to see whether it's from God, this is the guy that saw the lamb on the throne. But when we go into church and we listen to these sermons and the pastor saying the Greek means this and the Greek means that, and we're not going to go home and we're not going to check his work, we're not going to check the work of these guys that are just being churned out of seminaries where pat answers are given and the Sethite view was given and all of this nonsense really is peddled. And you're not going to go home and check to make sure that Greek word really means what he said it means. Uh, it, it is to our own detriment. So when we talk about spiritual warfare, 
You can sit and call down, you know, Jesus on your flat tire and all this silliness if you want. But the fact of the matter is the enemy is a prowling lion seeking someone to devour. Jesus doesn't care if you call AAA and get a tire fixed. That's not going to affect your faith or your soul. That's not going to rip you from the arms of a savior and, and bring you into apostasy. He doesn't care about your car tire. He cares about you being overwhelmed, confused, apathetic, despondent. He wants you to give up. Yeah. Well, you know, and interestingly enough, I've been saying this a lot, Lindsay, and, and even um, uh, my wife has really heard it a lot, but I've come to this place where I, I feel like in my life since, you know, you were talking about secondary causes, some things in life are just, they're just life. Life happens, so to speak. Yeah. And I, I, I've come to see it as like, you know, you have dominoes on a table. It's like the enemy, all he has to do sometimes is just start the first domino. Yeah. And my unrefined, honestly, my unrefined soul begins to take that first domino and then they all fall down and it's like it stays in me. He doesn't really have to do much of anything other than just place that first thought, mm. you know, that first, that first. So true. You know what I'm talking about? I and do. It's, and it's because, it's because I need to get back in, into mind renewing and renewing my, my mind and my soul and all that kind of stuff. And, and uh, yeah, and, and you're right. So what the enemy's doing out there, and this is what I hear you saying, is he's putting in a lot of, of, of false, false teaching, which is getting in our soul. And so once the enemy pushes that domino, we go into the false teaching, and then that gets us confused and gets yeah. us... Well, yeah. And just fluff and fascination, too, he throws in there, honestly. I, I, I think that's some of it's not necessarily wrong or bad. It's just I sometimes wonder how much of it's just fluff and fascination to kind of get yeah. our attention. Totally. What do you mean by that, Lindsay? Un unpack that a little bit. Fluff and fascination. Well, you know, just, what do you mean, mm -hmm. It's something I struggle with, you know. You know, it, it's not wrong to be entertained. It's not wrong to, you know, be fascinated by things. But I sometimes wonder if my fascination for some of these subjects is greater than my desire to see the Lord glorified in learning these things. It's something mm. I struggle with mm. sometimes, to mm. be honest. That sounds yeah. like what Tom Horn says. He, he says you can be, what, have a red pill overdose? I think he said that at a conference. <laughs> yeah, it, <laughs> so, yeah, I feel like sometimes a lot of people overdose on red pills. But fluff, you know? I just mean, mean things that are just neither here nor there. They're not that important, you know, for lack of yeah. a better term there. You, you know what that yeah. makes me think of, Lindsay, is Hebrews 12. I don't I think it's in I think it's still in verse one. It after it talks about the cloud of witnesses, it says, let us throw off everything that hinders yep. and the yep. sin. And the sin that's so easily yep. entangled. There's a distinction and there. I, yep. I, yeah. The, yep. So not everything that we're throwing off is necessarily a sin, but if it hinders the progression of the faith or the glorification of God or the spreading of the gospel, then it's worthless to a degree. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, that reminds me, our mutual buddy, Vicky, sent me a, uh, you know what I'm talking about. He sent me a, I do. A, a, a messenger this morning, and he was like, what do you think about this? And it was, it was something on another podcast where the guy was saying, I don't think we need to be exploring all this fringy stuff. We need to, we need to be exploring, uh, you know, prophecy right now. Yeah. Prophecy, prophecy. 
So when I re- how I responded to uh, our mutual friend, um, I said, I agree with both. I agree that, yeah, there can be some fluff and stuff and we're occupying our time with and We do need to be focusing on the prophetic. But I said, I think, I think that this, this podcast is actually doing that through some of their guests mm-hmm. with the, the disclosure and a lot of stuff that like L.A. Marzulli teaches and a lot of that stuff. So they're still kind of focusing on the end times and prophecy. But I said, on the other side, I don't think we need to focus on prophecy. We need to focus on being one of the wise virgins. We need to get our oil mm, lamps yeah. filled. We need to be focusing on intimacy with God. Yeah. And let the, the prophecy is there. We can get, I've seen this happen. People get so enamored with end time prophecy that it becomes just like what we do with our French stuff. And, yeah. and God, God is like, oh, the end is near. Get close to me and make disciples. That's, you know, it's like, okay, and then let the other stuff come out of that, if that makes any sense. And, Absolutely. And then our mutual friend sent back his target and said, you're on the money, bro. Anyway, so <laughs> <laughs> I agree. <laughs> I agree. And, and that's a tough one. Uh, yes, and, it's hard walk. And yeah. I, I struggled with it. One of the things that kind of kept me from writing a sleep paralysis book for a while, it, you know, I was testing the spirits to see whether it was from God. Does, does God want me to write this book to set captives free? Or does the devil want me to write this book to get Christians titillated and engorged in demonic things and then send them down a bad path? And so it, your book I, doesn't no. do that. Your, well, your book doesn't do that. It, it doesn't do that because I prayed for years that it wouldn't. Mm. And I, I very specifically uh, worked with LA as I was writing it saying, what do I do so that the end result of this book brings glory to God, sets captives free, but exposes the deeds of the devil. And so I had to very intentionally think and pray towards that end and praise God if that was the result. But where, where I kind of live in that space, because I spend most of my time on podcasts talking about shadow people and hat men and incubuses and like, that's not the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? But here's where, uh, this was my Red Sea moment, right? The waters didn't part until Moses got knee deep. You know, he had to, he had to actually get in the water and get pretty wet before God showed up. And so I I wrote the book thinking, oh, oh, I'm biting my nails. What if people get so titillated by sleep paralysis that they go down a rabbit hole and start getting into the occult and, oh, And what I didn't even see coming was the more of these shows that I did as I listened to myself talking and as the Spirit was throwing scriptures into my mind, the more I came to an understanding that sleep paralysis is a perfect gateway conversation to share the entire gospel Mm. of Jesus Christ. Yes. So, yes. hey, I didn't even know that. I had to get knee deep in the, in, in the wet before I figured yeah. that out. But the fact of the matter is my motive wasn't, hey, maybe I'll sell a million books if I come up with this controversial topic that talks about sex with demons. It's, my goal was mm. never selling a lot of books. My goal was I don't want the people that are suffering from this to be carried away into false doctrine and into the astral stuff. And so I think that when our goal and our motivation is to preach the gospel, that that exposing the deeds of the devil is part of sharing the gospel. Now, you, there's ways to yes. do it right, and there's ways to do it wrong. Yes, yes. Let me, let me tell you what happens in the podcast circles, though. And, and you know this, Vicki. We start out that way. 
And then we, we start thinking, oh, wow, I want to get more listeners. I want to yeah. get more people. And so then we start losing that focus and start like, I got to have this really sensational story. And the more and more is, is and, and it's just like how pastors are at church. If you have a good Sunday, the next Sunday's got to be better than the last Sunday. So you have to build and build and build. And see, I see that as a huge mm. ditch for yeah. podcasters. And, and, and it's one that Lindsay and yeah. I struggle with. You know, it really is. Do we stay true to wanting to just stay true to the gospel, bring it biblical and do what you're saying? Or do we want to just get more listeners by doing novelty? And, and you know when you, when you break that line. It's like you know when you walk over that, that into that realm. And, yeah. you know, and, and, and it's good to have a partner like Lindsay because he'll pull me back. And it's like, it's not all about that. It's about getting the message out about, like you said, that knowing the, the wiles of the devil is part of the gospel because we, we believe in a gospel of the kingdom, not a gospel going to heaven. Mm. Right. Amen. Amen. Well, and by way of if I can preach a bit of encouragement to all of the uh, influencers and podcasters out there, again, yeah, please. with taking scripture very, very seriously. Every word from the mouth of God. This is what kept me from going into ministry as long as it did. I took James 3, mm. 1 very seriously. Uh, and that is, yes. let not many of you become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with a greater strictness. And I've always, as an introvert, introvert been of the, of the persuasion that I have a better chance of being right and sounding intelligent if i say 10 words as opposed to talking for an hour right? yeah. like like, Amen. like yep. the more we talk the more we open ourselves up for saying a bunch of stupid stuff and we're going to be judged yes. more mm -hmm. strictly and one of the things that's really surprised me you guys because i'm way 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 down on the totem pole by way of people knowing who i am and whatnot but i i have been so surprised i guess i don't know how this kind of stuff works uh, I have been so surprised where I'll wear like a t-shirt on a podcast and then I'll be at a conference and three people come up to me with this t-shirt because I wore it once. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I mean, so you just got to be so careful. With, and yes. when you start doing the things that you need to do to get the view, right? Uh, you're going to at some point have to start compromising because yes. what what we really, the message we really need to get out there, it's not popular and it's not going to get millions mm -hmm. of views. Je Jesus didn't get millions of views. He got nailed on the cross. Like that's how much they liked, you know, imagine if, <laughs> imagine if, imagine if Jesus had a Facebook account, he would be fact checked and shut down and <laughs> put in, mm. in social media prison. He would not, well, he would not have millions of views. And, no, you're right. and so not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, but here's the thing. And this is what I love. Sometimes God pulls back the curtain and gives us a glimpse of what's going on behind the scenes. Sometimes he mm -hmm. doesn't. Sometimes he waits till heaven. Um, we're going to be at the Bema seat. And he's going to be like, this is your life video. And we're going to go, what? And we're going to have no idea. I'm going to use my mom as an example. My mom's dream, her bucket list dream was to publish a book before she died because she was a writer. And back in the mm -hmm. old days, it was harder to get a book published. There was no self-publishing in Kindle, KDP, and all this stuff. And you had to work hard, and you had to know people, and you had to get into a publishing house. And her goal was to write a book. And when she died, she was halfway through a book. So she died thinking, I never finished my book. 
I never got a book published. Unbeknownst to her, I finished the book for her and I published mm-hmm. it. And I get people coming to me all the time saying, I love that book and this and that, blah, blah, blah. And there's there's stuff going on with that book that I'll never know. And so I just think, how cool is it going to be for my mom someday when she says, I never published my book for you, Jesus. I never published all my song poems. And Jesus is like, wait till you see this. And, you know, depending on how many years or decades or centuries tarry between her death and and when this happens, he is going to have a a B-roll of film of hundreds, if not thousands of people that were impacted by her writing that she never even knew got published. And we see this example in scripture as well. It's it's yep. the iceberg effect. There is a certain amount of progress that we see in our own life and ministry. It's this little iceberg peeking up above the water. And you know where I'm going with this metaphor. We we can look online and see how many followers we have on social media and how many people give us a little heart and all this silly stuff. But mm-hmm. when we get to heaven and God drains the tub and we see what's beneath that little <laughs> bit of the iceberg, it's going to yeah. blow our minds. And so uh, easier said than done, because we all look to see, we we use those social media counters as some sort of a litmus test for how uh, successful we are or how persuasive we're being with our message or whatnot. But the fact of the matter is, there could be millions of people listening to your podcast that never like it, that never comment, that never go onto your Facebook and subscribe, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, we don't know what he's doing behind the scenes. And quite frankly, I'm glad that we don't because it, it, mm-hmm. it puts our faith in something other than our own accomplishments. Ability. And, yeah. Right, exactly. And it's going to make the shock and awe of the heavenly reveal 10 times more exciting. You know, if you, if you go to the Grammy Awards knowing that you're going to win because your publicist already told you or however that works, isn't that going to be less exciting than showing up at the award show thinking you're not winning and then you do win? Like that's what mm. I, I would prefer that in the long run. Yeah, I too. I too. Lindsay, did you have something earlier you wanted to throw out there? I interrupted you. Well, that's okay. Now, yeah, I was just going to say, going back to what she said about, you know, her fears and writing that, uh, the sleep paralysis book that, someone might take it in a bad direction. I mean, yeah, we do need to be concerned with that. I don't ever want to poo-poo that idea. But on the other hand, some people are going to do that regardless of our intentions. I I just always think about, I guess it was Paul and Barnabas, when they heal that guy and like, all right, bring the sacrifices. Zeus and Hermes are here. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, what a what a misunderstanding. But Paul didn't give wow. up preaching the gospel after that, and you know it's that's true. Some oh, people, that's you good. know, we're going to be yeah. misunderstood sometimes. I, I think that's important to remember. That doesn't mean we just don't care. That doesn't mean we don't need to be careful about not. It doesn't mean we we yeah. don't need to be conscious. We'll be but but it's going to happen regardless. Yeah. Sometimes, yeah. Well, I, I actually have. 
I actually have two things to say about that. One is one of my favorite theologians says it like this, and and I think self-awareness is so important in the Christian life, and I think it leads to humility. But this guy, this theologian, he, he's anti right. I don't know if anybody out there is. Oh heard yeah, of, but of course. But, but he said, but he he says this. He says eighty percent of what I'm going to teach you is true, and twenty percent is not. And if I knew what the other twenty percent was, I wouldn't teach it. <laughs> and I think that I, I think that self that self awareness is what we need to have. Number yeah. one, that we're in fact that we're in we're not infallible. That we are very yeah. fallible. And number two, that that if, if you're aware of that and having a, there's there's grace available for that. Yeah. However, the second thing I want to say is I agree with you about taking that James passage about teaching super super serious because it's it's happened in my life and I'm not going to go into a lot of details, but I've had a friend who has been listening to a, a podcast and uh, because he was listening to this particular podcast, he has gotten into some really deep stuff and going in a real cultic area because he's been listening to a to a podcast and i saw the effect uh and this podcast doesn't even know it it, yeah. it doesn't even have any idea but this guy is it, it, and, and i it's like we all need to be aware of the the james the teachers are called to a higher standard so to speak and and let me tell you the, the secret i've learned this podcasters are teachers we're influencers yeah. as well as the, as well as the guests that are, that are on here and uh, that was very sobering for me in the past few weeks to uh, yeah. to for that to sit in my soul because because I'm pretty pretty good friends with this guy and I'm I'm watching him and, and I'm not saying anything about it I'm just gonna be there and love him and uh, so but uh, yeah I saw that practically worked out in real life oh, sad so, yeah um, yeah it, I I want to just tack on to do that NT Wright quote which is amazing I love that. Uh, there is an obscure verse in Jeremiah 16. I love the book of Jeremiah. I go through it at least once mm -hmm. a year. I just, for some reason, I just, I, I can relate to Jeremiah. He's always like doing everything the Lord wants him to do and just can't catch a break, man. I think most of us feel that way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, Jeremiah, yep, Jeremiah 16, 19, and this is in conjunction to N.T. Wright's comment about the 80%, 20%. Uh, o Lord, my strength and my stronghold and my refuge in the day of distress, to you the nations will come. So we're talking about pagan, the 70, the Tower of Babel, the nations, the Gentiles, right? The Gentiles, to you yeah. the nations will come from the ends of the earth and say, our fathers inherited lies. Nothing wow. but falsehood. I've never seen that. Mm, yep. Wow. Nothing, nothing but falsehood, futility. And things of no profit. In Jeremiah, if if what this is, I'm going to put this in layman's terms. If what it's saying is, in the end times, modern American Christians are going to have this massive red pill moment where they realize that all of this seminary churned out sermons that they've been hearing their whole life is really off the mark. It is... Mm. The, the context, the culture, the history, the language, and the geography of the original text was never fully taken into consideration. And it became a, it, it, it went from an, a governance under, a coming out of Babylon and going under the governance or an ecclesia of, of Yahweh, 
uh, and it turned into just a religion that synchronized along with it the 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 Babylonian stuff, and it synchronized the Catholic Church, and it synchronized New Age, and we have snowballed and collected so much garbage in the last five hundred years that have rolled their way into the church, and one day we're all going to have this collective oh crap moment, and we're going to seek out the people that will put the context, the culture, the history, the language, and the geography back into the text so that we can see all the facets of the diamond, not just one or two. And so when I first figured this out, it was a great discouragement to me because I thought, well, who has the truth? And has it been lost? And oh, oh man. And it, it made me think of the road to Emmaus. Mm -hmm. There is a little detail in that road to Emmaus story that not a lot of people focus on. People like to focus on the fact that Jesus disappeared and they didn't recognize him and it's supernatural. But the most fascinating part to me about the road to Emmaus is that Jesus resurrected from the dead and he spent the time on that walk unfolding for those disciples the entirety of the law and the gospels. So in other words, everything that they had written down so far the Pentateuch, you know, Genesis through Deuteronomy, and then all the prophets, and Isaiah and Jeremiah and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. In the first century, they were already so far off course with interpreting their Bible that God had to become flesh and come down like a man with a mouth and hands and explain to them because they had inherited lies by that point as well. And so... Well, through the- the Tal- Talmudic and Midrash, yes. right? Yep. Is that what you're exactly, yeah. exactly. Yep. And at this point, Christianity and Judaism have both been so adulterated with Babylon that neither one of us have the full truth anymore at this point. And another mm. thing that people miss is, let's look at the order of events. Look at the timeline of Scripture. Let's go chronologically. Jesus appears to the disciples on the road to Emmaus and straightens them out. He clears away all the clutter of the Talmud and the Midrash and the Zohar and the Babylonian stuff. And he explains to them, this is exactly what Moses and the prophets were really talking about. And then what happens Mm -hmm. a couple chapters later? He says to the group of 500, go into all the world, teaching them everything I have commanded you. In other words, set aside all of this other stuff that's come into play. I just explained to these disciples what the law and the gospels really mean. Teach that to everyone. That's, that's discipleship. That's the definition of discipleship. And so, yep. you know, now Christians have taken the mantle and the Great Commission means every Baptist uh, and Methodist and Lutheran out there go out and get people to pray a prayer. That is not the Great Commission. The Great, the great no. Commission is that the people, the chosen people of God who understand the law and the Gospels because Jesus himself with his own mouth explained it to them, and they have this truth. You are withholding it from us. And because you're withholding it from us, we're going to get into a Jeremiah situation one day where we go, we've inherited lies. And so th- this whole idea of, of the Great Commission and 
and, and all of that, I think has, has gotten a little off track. And, and it, that even plays into what we were talking about, because the church and the pastors have the same problem as the podcasters. It's all about numbers, and it's about attendance, and it's about tithe, mm. and it's about how many programs draw people into your church. And we've lost sight of the fact, and I'm just concerned that N.T. Wright lived in an age where 80% of it was still true, and I wonder what that percentage is now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, let me tell you, you, you're coming directly into Lindsay and, and, and my wheelhouse, so to speak, is I take the verse that Paul said about the simplicity in Christ very seriously, and I think what we have done is we have overcomplicated the gospel, the law, and all these mm -hmm. things to, 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 to be more into... And to obviously, and obvious, the biggest shift is to be all about, all right, I want to be ready for when I die, when I go to heaven, instead of having a kingdom yes. um, governmental viewpoint. And I'm not, I'm not talking about the seven mountains and the NAR stuff. I'm not talking yeah. about that. But, but having a kingdom viewpoint. And when we make disciples out there in the world, Lindsay and I and, and other people that do DMM stuff, we, we distill it down to the simplest thing because I think that's what Jesus yeah. did. He took all that law and, and he, he brought it to two things. Love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. If you do those two things, all the law and the prophets hang on that. And I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit to actually do that through yeah. you. And we, we make it so complicated. <laughs> um, it, 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 I mean, it, the whole concept of having church and, and all that stuff, the Bible and all that, it, it, you're right, it's infiltrated it. And I think Jesus wants it simple. I'm sorry I'm preaching here, forgive me. <laughs> but I think Jesus wants it simple because simple multiplies quickly. Mm. Think about a virus. A virus multiplies quickly. That's, you know, the, I, I love zombies. So <laughs> I think about the, zo the zombie virus, it multiplies quickly, real mm. quick, and it takes over. Well, that's what the gospel is supposed to do. It's supposed to be distilled down to such simplicity that even a five-year-old yeah. can transmit the gospel and, and it, it, you know, and learn to be a disciple and, and walk it out. And we've made it about peripheral doctrines of our denominations and all our extra, you know, uh, crustaceans on our ships and, <laughs> and all that stuff. And, 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 and this is what I tell people, and I'll shut up, is... What is going to unite the church in the end to be able to do what God calls us to do and to be a part of the remnant of the of, of Israel is is this. It's simply this. It's not gonna it, it's not gonna involve uh, worship because we won't unite around worship. It's just not gonna happen. It's not gonna involve uh, doctrine because we're not gonna unite around doctrine. We've tried that. I mean. And I'm saying doctrine is important. We have a few foundational doctrines, but it, that's not going to be the uniter. The uniter is going to be the Great Commission and the mission, but the correct form of the Great Commission, and which is make disciples, teaching them to obey. Yeah. And that's what is not in the entirety of the church. We don't teach people to obey. Right, right. Anyway. All right. Amen. In in rant, sorry. No, that that's <laughs> awesome, and that plays perfectly into where I want to go. I am so glad okay. you said the magic words. Nobody ever wants to talk about this because no one's aware of it. I love the fact that you said the kingdom, and I'm going to say this very carefully because I don't want people to mishear me. I understand that salvation, soteriology, it's important. Getting saved is integral. Yeah, and Christ came 
to pave the way so that we could be saved. So don't let anybody hear me say that salvation's not important. But if you do a word search in the New Testament of the word gospel, it almost always is found within a phrase, gospel of the kingdom. Of the mm-hmm. kingdom. Absolutely. It doesn't yep. say the yep. gospel of salvation. And when we go around our American version of the gospel uh, and of the Great Commission, the fulfillment of the Great Commission is going around and preaching everyone the gospel of salvation. And when they pray that prayer, you turn them loose to read the book of John or get baptized or join a church, mm-hmm. and it's not no longer your problem. You got their signed card. When When you break this down, that salvation is a part of the gospel of the kingdom so it's not left out but when when you take the gospel of salvation again to use the metaphor a a diamond is a three-dimensional gem you can hold in your hand and there's like some like 53 facets on a diamond so as you spin it you see different facets and the light hits it differently uh we the gospel of salvation is one flat facet. It's one plate glass facet on a 53-facet diamond. Uh, so it's part of that diamond, but if you're not holding the whole kingdom diamond, you're, you're really missing tons of what Jesus said. The gospel that Jesus was preaching, if, if Jesus was preaching the gospel that America is preaching, this is what his gospel message would be. Okay, y'all. In a few years, I'm going to be crucified on a cross. Now, when that happens, if you pray to receive me, I'll forgive your sins. (laughs) The gospel of salvation couldn't have even existed at that point because he hadn't died. It wouldn't have made any sense to them. So the gospel that he was preaching is, okay, look, you guys, there's a seed war going on, and it's been going on since Adam, Eve, and and the serpent. And we've yep. got a bloodline of Cain, and we've got a bloodline of Seth, and you have to pick a side. And when I come back, if you haven't picked a side, you're going to be knee-deep in crap, right? That, that's what he's talking about. There's a seed war going on. There's no Switzerland. Mm-hmm. You have got to pick a side. And when I, when, when right. I come back, don't be caught on the wrong side or you'll lose everything and so uh part of being on the right side isn't just praying the prayer or going to church or bringing a tuna casserole wednesday night and all this stuff that we've made it into part of being on the right team means you have entered into a betrothal covenant with the bridegroom and we all know just from the but from the metaphor of marriage uh look at what a marriage on earth means and you're in a unique relationship you are legally and lawfully bound, and there are certain agreements that you have made in that covenant. There are certain rules you abide by, and a lot of people know that when you start breaking those, those covenant rules, the marriage tends to fall apart or it's compromised. And so being in a betrothal covenant with the Son of God is way, way different than praying a prayer and becoming a Christian. And this is where, in my line of work, things get really complicated. I've got pew-warming, nominal, self-professing, born-again Christians saying, I don't understand. I thought Christians couldn't be bothered by demons. And it's like, well, 
depending on how you define Christian, I believe that if you are a covenant-keeping bride of the Most High who has secured yourself over the threshold and you live within his tent and are under his protection because you are in obedience to the covenant, I don't think that the enemy can get to you. But if you prayed a little prayer after a rock concert you went to one time and you go to church occasionally, uh, but you're out there living like Babylon, I, you can call that a Christian, you can call yourself whatever you want. But the fact of the matter is this label that we take, this label that people who go to church take on is significantly of lesser importance than the label that Christ wants to give us, and that is bride, covenant, um, uh, part of the assembly of believers. Uh, this is where our lingo is really getting us into trouble because there's a lot of people that think that they are under the governance and the protection and the prosperity of Jesus Christ who are 10 miles away from the tent because they're out here under the auspices yep. of a false definition of grace, thinking that Jesus just wants them to be happy and that Jesus somehow yeah. defines happiness the same way they do. Well, you know, a friend of ours, uh, he has come up with a new term, and I don't know how new it is, but I've never heard it before, and we've been using it, and I think it really encapsulates what you're saying. We need to have obedient allegiance nice. to mm -hmm. Jesus. Love it. Obedient allegiance and so you're obedient so you're not perfect we're working on that but you are allegiant yes. to the the king you're allegiant to the bridegroom you're allegiant to yahweh that's what we we like to put across to people because so much and, and here's another thing too again i know you see this and you realize this is much of our modern evangelicalism is gnosticism yes. it's not it's gnosticism it's all about getting a prayer said where you can somehow go to this ethereal heaven when you die. <laughs> it, 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 it's all about personal eschatology instead of about like, like Edenic eschatology or earth cosmos eschatology, which I think is more important than your personal eschatology. Even though it's still a factor, there is a place we stay but the the but the end is what matters, not where you go in the intermediary period. But we put all our focus on that that holding cell, and I, I don't know that's not a good word for it. But this place where we stay until we get our new bodies one day is what I'm talking yeah. about. And and I know that's important, and but it's become so much a part of our culture in the West that we miss out on the whole aspect of the now. And we, we equate everything in the not yet, and we need to focus on the now. I'm not saying everything is now. Obviously, I'm, I don't believe that. But I, I've seen a lot of teachers, they, they want to put everything in the not yet. And I'm like, well, what's left to put in the now? We need to walk in the gospel of the kingdom now and ask the Holy Spirit, what does that entail? If it's not social, social justice. <laughs> it's not the seven mountains of heaven, yeah. NAR yeah. type stuff. It's, yeah. not, it's not that, but, but there is... There is something about being the ecclesia of God and beginning to infiltrate culture by making disciples, not by doing governmental or political stuff, but by making disciples one at a time, just like they did in the early church. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I just want to clarify something too. A lot of a lot of people already know parts of this or two thirds of this, but we know that the Greek word 
ecclesia used in the New Testament has been translated capital C church, and we know that's not really what it means. And we yep. we know so then we're told, yep. well, no, it means an assembly or a gathering, and that's true, and that's what you're going to find if you go to the Strongs and things. But if you do the deep research, and uh, Michael Lake mm-hmm. was talking about this, he is uh, prolific mm-hmm. in the languages. The actual first foundational definition of ecclesia is government. Yeah. The Greek, so, yes. Greek city right. states. Yes. All yes. had an ecclesia. So, yep. So yep. it's not a church of evangelical American modern Christianity, which will radically change your eschatology if you read that word differently in Revelation and places like that. Uh, if you think it's just yep. an assembly of like-minded believers, well, then it, it, it can mean anything. I mean, you can go down to the Metrodome and, and see a Megadeth concert, and that's going to be an ecclesia. It's going to be a bunch of people gathered together under one <laughs> umbrella, right? So I love it, Megadeth. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. But if it means government, then it means that as citizens and ambassadors of this city-state, there are laws and rules that we abide by to remain and keep our citizenship, uh, to stay out of jail, right? And so uh, rereading New Testament and pulling out that word church and putting governance in there instead, Mm -hmm. it is going to radically disrupt a lot of modern theology, especially eschatology. So, um, oh yeah. But another thing, Brandon, I wanted to to put in there as you were talking about the Gnosticism. I don't want to let that go either. Uh, in Galatians four, it says, "When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son." And I, mm-hmm. I had a Greek teacher once that said, "You know, Jesus could have come at any time in history. Like He could have come in the year two thousand. He could come in the year three thousand. He could have come in the year one hundred. Like He could have come whenever." And right. the time that God chose to send forth his son was a time when Koine Greek was spoken, not Hebrew, not Aramaic, not, not German, yeah. not English. Koine Greek, which is a lavishly intricate, multi-layered expressive language that can capture yes. ideas and concepts with much more clarity and specificity than English and other languages. But he... But he also came during a time, coincidentally, when Gnosticism was rampant on the earth. And much of the New Testament is an apologetic treatise against Gnosticism. And so if Mm -hmm. you look at where we are now with Gnosticism back on the scene, now it it goes by different names now because it likes to hide its head. But what we're dealing with now is a reemergence of Gnosticism. That means that the New Testament is more relevant to our ability to understand than perhaps previous generations. And so at the fullness of time, Jesus came when Koine Greek was the language of the New Testament, and they spent their time writing against the flaws and the inconsistencies and the insufficiency of Gnosticism. We have the perfect tool right now. Everyone's like, oh, the Bible's outdated. It's old. It doesn't apply anymore because we're so modern and we're so scientific and technological. 
the New Testament has never been more relevant than in our era where there's been a reemergence of Gnosticism. Every, everything Absolutely. in that book is ringing true in our current society. Well, I, I got into a debate. Well, not really a debate. It wasn't an argument either. We were just talking with a guy the other day that was basically, he said this, he said, he said, I don't care about this world. This world is going to be burned up. And I'm like, did you read Genesis 1? <laughs> he made this, he, he made it good. And not only did he make the world good, but he made us very good. So our bodies matter. We're not going to be these like Casper, they're friendly yeah. ghosts, you know, everywhere. He's going to give us new bodies. So when he created the world with bodies and with natural stuff, it is important in the end, in Revelation as well. Yeah. For us to, there was a reason why, I guess, why he created matter. And so Gnosticism goes against that. And anyway, it, it's just, it's, it's amazing to me, Vicki, how it's like permeated Western Christianity. You know, all this, 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 this body bad, <laughs> spirit good, yeah. you know? And, 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 and I know people are obsessed with their bodies and it, it can become idolatry and all this kind of stuff. And people pull Paul out of context saying that too. But, but the general tenor of the New Testament is even Jesus. I was, I was listening to the Bible last night and he, he, it was at the end of um, Luke, he ate a piece of fish to show them that he came back in a body. Yes. yes. That, so if it's important to Jesus, it's important to the scheme of, of what we believe. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's a there's a lot of bad doctrine. I think some of it's been sorted out, but I remember even in the 70s hearing stuff like this in church and stuff like this in the Catholic Church. I wasn't raised Catholic, but I grew up with Catholic friends. There was this mishmash of uh, when when we come back in our perfected state, when we die, we become angels, and or you know. We, we become these heavenly creatures and we're flying around in the throne room with harps and stuff like that. And it's interesting to me that if Jesus is going to be our high priest and our mediator forever, the reason he came as a man is because he couldn't represent us unless he was one of us. So if his eternal form is a man, why would we all of a sudden look like angels or some sort of heavenly being or some sort of ascended being? And I think that this is ascension doctrine creeping into Christianity. If, if we ascend to something other than man and Jesus remains as our mediator and high priest in the form of a man, he's no longer our mediator because he's not one of us anymore. Yep. That's true. Mm -hmm. Yep. That's on the mark. That, you nailed it. Yep. Yep. It's important, and I, I think too, and I, I correct people all the time that the goal is is what we're trying to get back to is Eden. Yeah, that's his goal is to get back to Eden, and that's the whole purpose of the new heaven and the new earth. At the end, is Eden, and it's going to be like okay, the great reset. This is the great reset yeah, right yep. here. Reset. <laughs> Everybody be fruitful and multiply. And I don't know if it'll happen with us being fruitful and multiply, but he is going to have work for us. It's not going to be tainted by the fall. And we're going to, we're going to, I mean, there's no telling. I mean, I, I mean, I just imagine sometimes, and I have a very big imagination, like what is it going to be like for eons and eons after Revelation? Ends? Yeah. You know, that's, that's just, that's the best, the beginning again. Yeah. I mean, and, and all the relationships that we've made in life, 
that we get to just have all the time in the world to get to know these people like like us. Vicky, we'll get to know each other infinitely more, you yeah. know, without the taint of yeah. sin. And and all all these people that we have relationships with, it's just it's an amazing, amazing thing. But it's centered right here on the earth in bodies. And uh, well, I think we've talked so, about this before with Vicky. Just this idea: it's it's not that we're gonna we're gonna become more human. I mean, I always, yeah, the, the I mean, white zombie song always comes to my head when I think of more, <laughs> more human than human. But yeah, <laughs> Mister Zombie is right. He didn't know how right he is there. That that uh, <laughs> that, that is oh, that's true. And and the whole transhumanist thing is a satanic knockoff, like yeah. Dollar General yes. Clover Valley version of that. That, that that's yeah. that. That's yeah. giving it too much credit, even. But yeah, you you get what I'm saying. It, we're gonna. Be, that's about becoming more human, not less. And to get back to N.T. Wright, you know, he used to speak of this notion of whereas our new bodies will be more human, that perhaps those who are sadly outside of Christ will almost progressively dehumanize, maybe. Um, it, it, it's, it's a it's an idea of becoming less and less human, almost like Gollum. Yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well, and we've talked about this off, off, off show before, but I'm gonna bring it up a little bit. But I almost think that even our understanding of hell that's been inherited through the centuries is incorrect. I I, I tend to like the orthodox view of hell is going to be less about fire and brimstone. Until we're put in the lake of fire, it's. It, I think it's more about isolation and solitariness. I mean, we are created ontologically to have relationships because we're in the image of God. And that's one thing I disagree with Dr. Heiser about. I, I agree with where he takes it in Genesis 1 about male and female in the image of God and, it, it, and he, him talking about uh, the divine counsel. I agree with that, but I also think it has another meaning. I, I think it does have the ontological meaning that we're in the image of God because we're in relationship just like the Holy Trinity yeah. is. So I'll, I'll leave that there. Yeah. But we are created for others. And so, honestly, hell, I mean, they've done studies with prisoners. You know, far worse than the death penalty is to put them in a hole for like 60 years <laughs> and they have no relationship with anybody. It's like they consider it cruel and unusual torture. And honestly, I think they should do that instead of the death penalty, because that's far worse yeah. to live with what you've done. And anyway, so I, I know that's a rabbit trail. No, shoot that, that that's, a, that's a good rabbit trail. And I, 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 I'm saying this slightly tongue in cheek, but I think you're going to get more sound doctrine about heaven and hell from the Black Sabbath song than you are for most churches these days. I... I, yeah. I, <laughs> I love it. I just love it. Only you can that's say right. that. Got to get my little uh, hat tip to Ronnie James in there. But uh, seriously, um, I think that a lot of what we're being taught about heaven and hell is missing the mark. Again, because context, culture, language, history, geography, we're, we're looking at it from our modern lenses. And we're, we're, the, more, yeah. the more life goes on, the more we humanize the emotions and the character of God, and he's not human. But uh, you know, even, with, even with heaven, this idea that when we die, we go up to the throne room of God, that this holy, holy, secret inner, I mean, even the temple 
on earth that was a blueprint of the one in heaven. Human beings weren't allowed in the Holy of Holies. One guy once a year was allowed in there. But now all of a sudden, we're all going to go up there by the millions and just be dancing around, knocking over chairs and like, you know, sitting there in the most holy place in the universe. And I think, well, then where did this idea come from? And this is going to be a stretch for a lot of people. And I'm just saying, mull it over, pray about it. If this is part of the 20% that's not true, it, that's mm -hmm. fine. But how thou art fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning, how art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thy heart, I will ascend into heaven. Uh, now we... Now, we know that he wants to ascend into heaven to take over the throne, and we want to ascend into heaven to get a big bear hug from Jesus, so it's okay, right? But we are terrestrial beings. Our mediator is a terrestrial being. The eternal mm -hmm. body of our mediator is in a terrestrial form. He's going to create a mm -hmm. new earth. And so don't hear me saying uh, that there isn't a glory or a paradise waiting for us in our resurrected bodies, but this idea that we're all going to ascend into heaven and stand around the throne, I'm wondering if there's something blasphemous in that. Yeah, something to consider, at least. Well, you know what, you know, when you were saying that, what really hit me is, is it's less of a go to the throne room type thing and more of a, he comes to walk with us in the cool of the day yeah, type thing. Heaven on earth. Uh, exactly. As earth, Back to Eden. Yep. On earth as it is in heaven. And I think that if the whole entire earth becomes an Eden, becomes a paradise, then yes, we will be in heaven for eternity. But I just want to make a distinction between the heaven that's being prepared for us and the most sacrosanct, holiest of holies. Uh, are, are all of us going to be just... Is, is there going to be a revolving door put on the throne room of heaven where we just go in there anytime we want and high-five the king on the throne, the father? Uh, yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. Well, you know what I see? I see what you're talking about is basically a new temple because there's not yes. going to be a temple anymore yes. in the whole cosmos. Mm -hmm. And I mean that in the, in the earth sense, it's going to be a temple. And so like what we were going to get into, we never got into the different levels of, of spirit realm. You have the first, you know, the, the first heaven, the second heaven and the third heaven. And what if all that's going to be the temple? You have the outer court, you have the inner court, and you have the holy of holies. I love that. You you articulated that a thousand times better than I was articulating it, and that's yeah, that's what I mean. Um, it, I'm not trying to tell everybody there's no heaven and you're going to be stuck down here on earth the rest of your life, but that even in eternity there might be compartments of of holiness and things that the father keeps just for himself or for occasions and, and things like that. Yeah. There's yeah. got to be something of God's like essence that, I mean, we can never approach, I would say, for him to 
to be holiness, you know, I, I, that's just speculation, yeah. but yeah. Definitely. Well, even in the outer court, we have to realize this, you know, after, after it's all said and done and he recreates the world, a new heaven and the new earth, which I think is the temple, because the temple no longer exists yeah. anymore. But but the outer court didn't allow the unclean in, mm. and and I don't I don't think they'll necessarily I don't know where I feel that there will be unclean anymore. But it's still it's still a holy place. It's not like it's the earth as it is now. It, it's recreated to be a holy place. But you still have like you said those those chambers is, is maybe a yes. word I'll use the the, cha- the chamber of the outer court the chamber of the the. Uh, the holy place, and then the chamber of the holy of holies. And yeah, I don't think we'll be able to go just into the holy of holies anytime we want to, even though we are all priests and and all that stuff. Right. I mean, I, that's that's something that I think is important. But but I, I just don't think it's going to be like a lot of uh, like you said, church to big big C church teaching throughout the centuries. Um, I think we've we projected first. Roman stuff, then later Middle European stuff with the Reformation, and then now modern Western stuff. Instead of letting the text go back, uh, uh, one of our friends, BT, talks about this all the time. We need to get back to the, what, what were they talking about in the Bible in the near, the, 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 the near Eastern context of this, and how did they understand yes. this? And, and we've, we've added all these uh, layers of stuff that that we've culturally imposed on the text over the years. So, hey, Vicky, yeah, I think I, we did it again with this it? episode. <laughs> <It> just came. <laughs> <to mind. laughs> well, but and I think that's or, wonderful. But, I enjoyed this. Or, so, but but you know maybe we didn't. Yeah, you're uh, right. Because you're right. Be, because what what we were talking about was the covert spiritual warfare, and part of covert spiritual warfare is really bad doctrine mm-hmm. yep. <laughs> it no yet doc- doctors are demons yep you we we have this uh layer of spirituality and we're going to church and we're preaching the gospel and we're you know but if we are being led down this primrose path to believe a whole bunch of really religious sounding things that are really not doing anything to you know, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I know it wasn't the direction we were necessarily planning, but I think it's actually a really good real-world example yeah. of the kind of spiritual warfare that's the most dangerous. No. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I mean, it's essential. I see it, like you said earlier, I see it sifting in through two, two modes, which, which is New Age, which is modern-day Gnosticism, but also with, like you were talking about, a lot of the Hebraic things that are coming in. Torahism is what I like to call it that you got to be a law follower to be, you know, saved and all that kind of stuff. It's like, those, it's the same two things the early church fought mm-hmm. with. It's coming back. Yeah. And, uh, yep, yeah, yep, we hit it. That's, that's spiritual mm-hmm. warfare. And, and people are getting sucked into both those things. And we have to give back to the pure doctrine, the simplicity of Christ. Uh, like Karl Barth, whatever you think of him, used to say, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Yeah. Um, that's real simple, and I know it's more complicated than that, but that, that's a good starting point. <laughs> that's a great starting point. <laughs> <laughs> well, Vicki, thank you yes. so much. I feel like we, we, we went there and, and 
Now we're going to have a part three now. <laughs> See, you got the part. <laughs> sure. I'm telling you. Yeah. Yep. Uh, anyway. But, I, I do that. I uh, do this yeah. on, I do this on purpose. This is like the, the chick that like wants a second date. So she leaves her purse <laughs> in the. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. That's great. I didn't know they did that. You just disclosed a woman's secret that I never knew about. I have to ask Sandy about that. Anyway. Well, thank you so much you know we love you and you are a friend of the show and we want to support you i'm gonna to listen to you tonight on coast to coast because i want to hear you with with george nori you know what i'm <laughs> yeah. saying so i'm excited about that so uh what well let tell everybody what's in the works now you've written your book on sleep paralysis what's in the works what what are you working on now and and where can they you know connect with yeah, you? yeah absolutely so i am working accidentally on two books right now and I'm about 16,000 words into one and 30,000 into another. Wow. And uh, one of them kind of follows indirectly into the same vein as the sleep paralysis stuff, but I'm saving that one. I don't want people to think the only thing I care about or write about is sleep paralysis stuff. So I am writing another book. It, I'm, it's a complete departure. It's on AI, but I will just tell you that it is a completely different facet of the diamond than most Christians are talking about. I'm not talking about the sentience and all that stuff. Uh, and it's going great. I'm super excited about it. I'm hoping to bang it out by the end of the year so I can get that off to LA. Uh, if people want to find me, they can get me at VickiJoyAnderson.com. And you can also get a hold of me on Instagram at VickiJoyAuthor. Yeah. Well, everybody out there, listeners, she is a joy to have on the show always always yep. always always so it, even though she talks about dark stuff she has a light side and that is definitely joy we we love you vicky and yep. we appreciate you so much and uh i can't wait for part three <laughs> yay all right oh, back at you guys love you guys too thanks for listening and supporting us and remember Stay naturally supernatural.